Welcome back, listeners, to the one and only, the greatest, most serious generalist podcast of them all. It is, of course, speaking generally with old Steve H. Bromhussey and George Gigglebox Taylor. Oh, dear. Not sure about that. Exhausted already, isn't he? Here we go. Here we go, folks. Wrap yourself in. Um, Well, George is doing a dispatch uh, from... Well, where are you, George? Why don't you tell us what's been going on? It's all, it's all been happening, Steve. I think uh, that's uh, the reason we've been so inconsistent with our, our broadcasts over this summer period because things have been very much up in the air as they have been for everyone. But I was literally up in the air, Steve, uh, a couple of weeks ago on an international flight, of all things, which is a very rare beast in the current climate. Mr. Gla- Mr. Glamour. Yeah, it, there was nothing glamorous about it, I'll tell you that much. Covered in hand sanitizer, strapped into a mask. Um, I am coming coming at you from Princeton, New Jersey, Steve. Zip code, zip code 08540, which is a very oh, alien thing for me. Don't, don't dox yourself. <laughs> give, you, give them the exact address. Apartment uh, number. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Steve, um, I've, I've relocated wow. to the US and I shall be here for a while. Um, so, yeah, coming, coming at you. Um, was in quarantine for the first 14 days, which wasn't my favourite favorite time, but uh, have been released into the world as of last week and I've been, uh, uh, yeah, out, outside for the first time in a while, which has been quite literally a breath of fresh air, but, of course, through a mask, so mixed Mixed blessings, but um, yeah, that's where I'm at. So I'm the one now on the awkward time zone for us, not you. I mean, yeah, in this year, I mean, long-time listeners will know this this little uh, change of yours has been coming a while, but uh, it's finally it's finally happened. And usually, it's me sitting in the US uh, uh, calling Bowles over the Atlantic for you. Yeah, yeah. but. Um, I'm not allowed, in a twist of fate, I'm not allowed in the US now because of uh, COVID, and you are. Because of, of your previous bad behaviour. <laughs> you've, uh, you've snuck in because of your lady wife, who is uh, an academic, big shot at Princeton University. So you've, you've very much sort of, you know, got the salvable treatment. Yeah, exactly, very much. But you chose her. You chose her over me, and well done. Got you, got you there. So. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah. So it was so, it was bizarre, Steve. I tell you that much. The the travel situation. Obviously, things have been very, very unconventional this year. I've done a couple of flights, um, in sort of August and September between the UK and Copenhagen um, to see my wife's family and to take care of some visa issues and things. And that was a lot more conventional than than I was expecting in many ways. Like the planes were maybe two thirds full, three quarters full. Um, you had to wear a mask, but you know, it's an hour and a half on the plane. It's not too big a deal. And the airports were em- emptier than they would be for summer holidays, but there was still enough back and forth travel. And at that point between the UK and Denmark, there were the air bridges. So travel was, I wouldn't say encouraged, but it was certainly available to people without having to quarantine on return. Whereas, to the US is just a complete no-go for, I guess, 99.9 people, really, unless you've got um, a visa, you're a national returning home, or you've got a very specific business exemption, um, and only certain kinds of visas are being issued. So very few people traveling. We were very fortunate to be in the in the minority that were allowed to, but um, a bizarre experience, maybe 30 people max on our plane, maybe 25 people. Um, they, you know, it was a uh, it was a British Airways flight. They were barely serving any food. It was just prepackaged food. Everything you had to wear a mask, and you had to change your mask every, I think, three hours to make sure that they were kind of fresh. Um, you had to ask for permission to go to the bathrooms and things like that. It was just a very different experience to obviously normal international, like transatlantic travel, and um, <laughs> particularly on arrival. It was just bizarre. There was almost no one at JFK Airport, which is usually a very, very busy spot. You would know more than me. But, you know, there were literally no taxis at the taxi rank because no one's arriving to get a taxi. Um, 
yeah, just very strange. And of course, all the COVID protocols meant everything's very distanced on arrival. And we went straight from the airport through the security and through border control and everything straight to our apartment in, in Princeton and didn't go out for two weeks at all, really. So a very surreal, very dissociative kind of dislocating experience where you've made this very sort of grand move to a place where you could then suddenly be anywhere. You're just trapped in these four walls that you've not been in before um, and not really knowing what's outside the other side of the door, the other side of the window. Very surreal um, and like kind of unhealthy, you know, not uh, not walking anywhere, not doing any exercise, eating weirdly, time zone issues and things. Normally when I've done big travel like transatlantic travel you kind of get out and amongst it to negate the time zone or feel like you're part of it quickly to try and adjust and we just went through it in a very different way so yeah an interesting and likely not to be repeated experience um so did you feel like you couldn't you just couldn't leave the apartment at all was that the sort of vibe yeah, so, well, I mean, the <laughs> the quarantine rules in the US for international travellers, I wouldn't say they're non-existent, but there isn't much advice because there aren't any international travellers unless you've already got an exemption, you know. So you're only allowed to fly to the US if you're a citizen and then you'd go to your own state and do whatever the state's requirements are or you'd be travelling for a certain exempt kind of business where you'd be allowed to, you know, leave your leave and do your normal work because that's what you're specifically there for so we were in a kind of gray area where we now uh, we followed the state arrival advice which uh, if you're traveling between states that have kind of closed borders between each other within the u.s they advise you to stay isolated for two weeks so we we of course did that so yeah like as kind of being extra cautious and things it's very different to the uk i don't know if how, where our listeners are all based but in the uk there it may not be being followed through or actually carried out because of lack of ability to do so but the intention at least is to do lots of contact tracing so if you arrive you declare where you've traveled from fill in when we came back from denmark in the end of at the end of september just before the air bridges were closing they specifically wanted where you'd been where you were staying where you intend to go what times you can be contacted like like being an olympic athlete and telling you know the drug doping agency where you'd be available for your three drug tests a year kind of thing uh -huh. um it's almost as strict as that whereas on arrival to the u.s it was just all right <laughs> welcome you know, welcome to the country just your visa tells tells them where you're staying and i there was no expectation that you'd be called or followed up on which was quite surprising i think but um yeah, for kind of courtesy and best practice and everything, we we stayed isolated for two weeks, which certainly was the right thing to do in the circumstances, I think. But uh, certainly weird as well. Oh, viable because we're going to be here for two years, so it doesn't really matter in the long run, but it makes any short-term travel nigh on impossible, really. Yeah, well, hopefully you've... Yeah, I guess now you're planted, you've got that got that rigmarole well out the way for a while so i think that's a smart move uh, yeah it was a good yeah, use of yeah. fairly dead time to kind of get onto the time zone and take care of some admin and things but um yeah i've been able to head out into the town since since the weekend or a few days ago and it's a very beautiful place it's suddenly open the front door and we're in that kind of almost like cliche american autumn fall all the leaves are bright orange and yeah very very beautiful place to be so it's opening the front door and being somewhere you sort of hadn't really expected to be in a weird way even though it had all this preparation um but yeah that's long story short i'm coming at you from the from the u.s now does it have those very um typical suburban looking american houses sort of a very distinct look particularly to here everything's like wooden wooden fronted houses with big wooden porches like the kind of colonial look i suppose um, yeah yeah all all like detached separate properties on quite big plots of land um yeah very a very beautiful town it, and the campus we've seen briefly as well and it is it's very stunning it's clearly based on clearly based on oxford but um that's no bad thing um how yeah, was looks, your looks fabulous how was your two weeks uh, with the wife in an apartment? Was that was that a honeymoon? Was that a new test for the marriage? Was that 
you know, was that something you were both ready to face? Steve, I think calling that a honeymoon was <laughs> really stretching it. Um, no, it certainly wasn't a honeymoon. Um, it, was, it was fairly hellish, I would say. Um, <laughs> we were both going a bit mad. I think we both need, you know, especially if you generally work from home, and obviously a lot more people are working from home at the moment, but you need to go outside, take breaks, stretch your legs, do all these kinds of things. Not being able to do any of that has made that quite difficult, just getting very antsy. Um, by the time we have been able to go out, we did quite a lot of walking on Sunday, but really not that much. And I'm completely broken now because I haven't done anything. Just sort of two weeks of doing absolutely nothing. It's like I've just completely... like plateaued or like atrophied or something my muscles are shot to bits so I think having two weeks of yeah doing nothing properly doing nothing does really kind of set you up for a a hard return back to a normal physical state so yeah obviously it was nice to be here and arrive and there was a real sense of relief and we'd overcome a lot of admin to make it happen so actually being here was a big achievement but you kind of get to a new place to explore it and be part of it right so then when that's held back feel felt very weird but um yeah a necessary evil so all good and old new york you've been into you've been into manhattan Popped, popped into Manhattan on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, saw some saw some friends there. So again, though, it feels frankly, it feels a little bit freer here than it did, or as it must do for you currently in the UK. You can meet in certain groups, like more bigger groups and things like that. We weren't doing anything outlandish at all, but met up with a couple of friends in the city and kind of walked around. I think where were we? Upper East Side, Upper West Side, and walk around the park, um, which was again really, uh, yeah, like dissociative kind of nothing, 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 and then suddenly you get out of the subway or get out of the car or wherever you've been, and you look up and you're kind of under the Empire State Building or surrounded by huge skyscrapers when you've not really been in a city. I hadn't been into London for eight seven months i think from march until the very end of september um six months seven months and normally i'd be in and out of london a lot so yeah suddenly being thrown into a city that is the kind of archetype of what a bustling metropolis is after nothing for months and months was very sort of unsettling in a in a very exciting way but um yeah really a really strange experience of course there are hardly any tourists it's very quiet everyone who'd be working is mainly working from home so wasn't the big commuter rush and um you know new york a lot better than i do and that hustle and bustle is what it's all about so it, it felt like i think it was actually sunday but it felt like the stereotype of a lazy sunday and i don't see how any other day would feel too different at the moment because there's just nowhere near the same influx of people but um very close to where we are now which is quite exciting knowing we do have that big kind of destination on our doorstep but obviously having to deal with it in a sort of safe and viable way as possible um it looks like they've done a really really good job of setting up lots of outdoor dining um all the site sidewalks i'm doing air quotes as i say it all the sidewalks have got like tented heated areas for people to sit and eat um which i think is their plan for getting through the next few months as it gets colder because there's a real capacity limit for dining indoors and restaurants have only been able to have people dining indoors for the last i guess few weeks so it looks like they've made a really good attempt at making that viable again of course that city really runs on its sort of catering industry i guess so um yeah fingers crossed things there and everywhere else stay and stay safe and continue well improve if they're not continuing to improve start to improve or stay safe it's a bizarre time but people are adapting as best as possible i saw in your photos you uh had a lovely a new york bagel george and i very much being very well ensconced in east london right now i'm i'm right <laughs> Two minutes away from the very famous bagel shop here that's open twenty four seven. So I've been uh, piling in, piling in the salt beef. Fabulous. We, uh, as our 
as our kind of desperate attempt to still stay slightly connected with the UK after being here for about four days, started watching the latest series of the Great British Bake Off or the Great British Baking Show. I I've, I've been here. watching a bit of that. Uh, did you see the technical challenge where they were making the rainbow bagels? Oh, I didn't see that one. So that, because that is, you're talking about the Brick Lane bagel shops, yeah. right? I think they're two next to each other on Brick Lane. Yeah, they, yeah there are, one, yeah. One of them, not the other, I'm not sure which one, I think. Uh, one of them makes like rainbow colored bagels which is i didn't know if i don't know if that's a thing everywhere or if it's just there but um on the show they made them because that the rainbow symbol has become an image for you know applauding the nhs in the uk for their work not just in general but with covid and everything mm -hmm. so i don't know if it was like oh yeah rainbow bagel that makes sense and if i went in somewhere in new york and asked for a rainbow bagel they'd just be like get out of here kind of thing <laughs> or is it actually a actually a delicacy enjoyed in other places i'm not sure but um bagels here are fantastic the bagels in london are very good too so uh yeah lovely 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 bagel chat <laughs> that's, the, that's the bagel chat done um did you uh did you do a lot of i mean you've been around princeton university now you've been doing a wonder well i remember we noted that mr albert einstein's house was in princeton um it's about 100 yards from where we live yeah uh are you saving you know the actual trip inside for me as a big as a big physics fan as i am are we are we doing that together we can do i'm not i'm not 100 sure if it's a museum or if it's just oh he lived here but now some family lived there i don't know if we'll be able to go in or not i read in, investigate that. in the walter isaacson biography when he moved to princeton i read that he called it young and fresh as a pipe un yet unsmoked uh, <laughs> that was the I'm actually, testament he, he gave it a right old, right old puff when he got here though i imagine so i was reading there's a <laughs> There's a pub or a tavern in town. I can't remember what what it's called. And he carved his name into one of the tables. So he certainly got out and amongst it. Bless him. Bloody Albert. Um, but yeah, we can we can certainly go and go and have a look at his house. It's in between. So there's the Princeton, there's Princeton University, and then a, a little way down the road, there's the Institute for Advanced Studies, which is not affiliated with Princeton University, but they obviously share loads of overlap. And I'm. I think he was based there, right? So his house is in between the two. Um, but yeah, we can certainly go and have a have a good old peer at that. Um, I think he's he's one of the you know. I, I think if we were sort of drawing a constellation of the inspirations for this show, I, I feel like he's he's within the crowd somewhere. You know, I think <laughs> <laughs> great lofty company we keep. You know, like when the Beatles, Sergeant Peppers, they have all our, mm. you know, all the people they love on the album cover. All the he's on there, that, isn't he? I think he might be on there, but I'd like to do one of those. I think of those a lot. Like, who would my bubble be? And and old Albert's in there. You know, we're both we're both theorizing types. <sighs> Different we levels just of in innovation. Spent five minutes talking about bagels. <laughs> This episode doesn't necessarily uh, vouch for my connection to Einstein intellectually, but I, I think I think people see the DNA there. Yeah, yeah. I'm we sure. like to we like to ponder, we like to imagine. Um, mm. So yes, George, you are you're like a Christopher Hitchens figure now. You've absconded to the USA uh, at sort of the age of thirty, early thirties, like he did. And you're very much a sort of Englishman imbibing the culture. Because I, I think people, you know, you know, people who don't know you, George, you know, you're, you're very much an Englishman to your bones. Mm. And I'd say there are, would you say there are parts of American culture you embrace and, uh, let's say, find difficult at times? Uh, for example, you've remarked on the friendliness of the waiting staff at times and how that gives you sort of pause. Have, have I said this? Um, you, you said I, the staff I, can be very chipper and happy and sometimes that, that makes you worry. It's just a, a sort of affectation. Camp, obviously, that, that can be the case, I think. That's a, uh, it's a completely different culture with the, well, I guess, the tipping culture here, right, and people being paid fairly low wages to work in service industry so 
being smiley kind of brings about tips, which is fairly different. Well, it's not different to how things are done in the UK, but it's not um, deliberately expected. I think it's... Uh, I've, we've not really been out enough to have had many interactions to be able to comment clearly on how it is here. But um, I, th- I think things are also different during COVID, right? Like people coming out at, and eating at a restaurant or coming into a shop or something, they're taking on some element of risk, but they're also um, helping that business survive in a difficult time. So I feel like there is more sort of earnest gratitude there to you know oh thank you so much for being here or whatever um right maybe means more i don't know but um there is of course like a sort of sunny american veneer that might not um represent what the person who's saying it is actually thinking but then most of the things we say publicly to people don't really represent what we think i suppose so in america it's just done with better teeth and more polished hair i guess we just do it in a quiet way in, in England of not saying what we've not just, we won't say anything if we're thinking something. Right. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> that, maybe that's the case. We do it in a very passive way. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But I think maybe to British people say what they don't mean more than American people. Oh, it's so lovely to see you, you know, actually means, we- Oh God, I can't believe you're here. Yeah, well, there's that famous translation thing online is like, oh, we, you know, yeah, yeah, it was lovely to meet you or whatever, but it might it might just mean, like, I don't intend on meeting you ever again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an English yeah. way. I'd yeah. be like, oh, this was nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have to do this again. Right. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that it's also very, well, it's regionally different in the UK too, but maybe, you know, New York has a stereotype for being a bit more like, harsh and tougher whereas california is a bit of a sort of sunny optimist kind of outlook in la or whatever it may be i'm not sure i don't feel like i've uh i've not been able to immerse myself enough yet but i will i will continue to report back on that don't worry did you do your thing of taking a huge pile of books in your suitcase i did yes i mean i think i I brought brought 53 (laughs) books with me uh, you travelled with fifty-three books. Yeah, 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 yeah. How um, on earth is that possible? Oh, don't you worry about that. We had, I think, we had two large suitcases each, and uh, a check-in bag and a you know kind of carry-on. But ba- uh, sorry, and two carry-on bags and two check-in suitcases each. And I think we had twenty-five kilos for each check-in bag and. I really stuffed mine to the gills, but I made sure that it was the right weight. And uh, Elizabeth was getting very antsy about how much weight I had in my bag. So she made me take stuff out, which I didn't agree with. Uh, so I had to sacrifice maybe 15 more novels that could have been here with me. Oh Got to the God. airport, checked the bags. I had four kilos spare to play with Steve. So I'm absolutely furious about that. So the two weeks of isolation didn't get off to a great start. <laughs> You've only, you only had 50 books to hide you over. <laughs> yeah, several hardbacks as well. But um, yeah, this seems to be a thing I do. I just sort of forego, I don't know, clothes and stuff to bring the books out. Under, Steve, underpants. Yeah, there's no... I don't know if I'm wrong here, Steve, but I don't think there's any alternative to carrying loads of hardback books in a bag when you travel. I don't think there's any alternative. <laughs> no, no, they haven't figured out a way to solve that yet. Um, so I'm just going to keep on doing what i'm doing there's a great bookshop here as well that i've stuck yeah there's many great writing. bookshops there it makes you wonder if if it's necessary to take any over from the well, UK. I, I didn't mean in america there's a single great bookshop i meant there's one really close to us in princeton but yes across right. the u.s there's a there's there's a lot of bookshops yeah um well lovely mate i've been i i've been watching i've been watching my stories not my Instagram stories. I mean, I uh, I've been watching <laughs> some girls or watching some movies. Um, yeah. I uh, I finally got round. You'll be pleased to know to Paths of Glory. Oh, wonderful film! That was very good. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's an early Stanley Kubrick one um, with Kirk Douglas, who looks exactly like Michael Douglas, um, <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, no, really a really good like tight like tightly focused story on sort of uh 
a sort of there's sort of a trial pertaining to an act of cowardice or non-cowardice by by a sort of group in the trenches in uh, French soldiers, I think, in the in the war. It's funny, uh, isn't it, to see Kirk Douglas playing a sort of French? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, and it's uh, but it's actually like there's a there's a bit of courtroom drama there. There's a bit of like trench, uh, you know, psychological stuff. But you you can still see those Kubrick hallmarks in just certain things of like the close ups of the faces and just certain early tracking shot, isn't there? Through the trenches, it's like a two minute tracking shot, maybe longer. Yeah, that's very Kubrick, which is very Kubrick, like the steady cam through the trenches, which also. I don't know if we've talked about that 1917, which was out earlier this year, and that had that was sort of filmed as one big fluid take, wasn't it? Or to appear like one big fluid take, and that that was very Kubrick inspired, clearly straight from that film. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of like it's 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 interesting how even in an early film, like it could just look like any other sort of black and white war film, but you can see you can really see that sort of auteur style like shining through even in that early one uh you can see like oh this director is different to uh other ones who would have been doing those anti-war films at the time definitely um, yeah so it's uh yeah i was i was very impressed with that though and, and enjoyed it a lot i uh i also just uh to keep some level of well i don't know keep the dark mood going george i, I finally watched rosemary's baby as well oh that's a really cheery uh, really cheery one uh, and as a single man, that made me happy that I hadn't uh, hadn't had kids yet. I guess um, <laughs> one way of looking at it. Um, it was Rosemary's Baby was less. It was less of a horror film than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was more straight up, a bit more straight up blood and I don't know. I thought it was a real. I thought it was more dead on the nose horror. But it's like psychological it's kind of dramatic it it obviously has the element of like mia farrow might be giving birth to uh you know a demon but Mm. it's uh but it's not as sort of like there's not like prosthetics and lots of craziness there's a few like dream sequences and stuff but i thought it would be more of a sort of terror exorcist style horror film and it's not it's not really like that um it's slower than i thought um, kind of more builds up a sense of like mystery and and dread. Um, yeah. You you've seen it, right? Yeah, you've long long time ago. But uh, yeah, I remember it being more of a sort of psychological, I don't know, unsettler than it is. A yeah, jump, jump and it's got, it's got a good it's got a good ending as well, where it does sort of it does sort of deliver. But um, I I was wondering like what the film. I guess there's probably been scores of analysis about it, but. I was I haven't really read much about the film and I was thinking is this like interpreted as like a feminist film or is this a kind of like uh, you know when you're trying to think like what's what's the film what's the theme of the film actually trying to talk about what's it trying to say is it like a terror of childbirth and you know or the way that you know mothers can get like you know she she's sort of being pulled around by all these different people with their different desires and things mm. or I, I don't know. I was just one. I, I was. It made me curious to want to go and read some analysis as to what the film is. It's based anything. on a novel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's obviously like there's a weird cult who's sort of trying to use her for their their purposes, and oh, interesting. She, she can't trust anyone. Checking the author. The author also wrote the Stepford Wives, which might play into um, further scheming about what the kind of veneer of feminist. Uh, message it may have um yeah interesting he also wrote the boys from brazil which is a very schlocky film um oh really i read the novel but very yeah very schlocky about um hitler having been cloned and re like raised in a suburban american family um in like in the mid seventies, very and strange. Does he, turn, does he turn out to be a good egg or is he still still rotten he's a he's a real piece of work oh man bloody genetic determinism yeah um so speaking of genetic determinism here we go (laughs) um no i didn't really have anything there i'll I'll tell you one other weird one i sat through which i've i'm digesting and i still don't it's it's a bit 
in, it's indulgent for sure, but it's the new Charlie Kaufman film. I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, yeah. So that's on my watch list. I've deliberately read nothing about it so that I, I don't have any expectations going into it, but, um, did you enjoy it or not enjoy it? There's, there's things I enjoyed in it. It's, it's loads of people would be massively turned off. It's, it goes through his flights of surrealism, symbolism, postmodern, you know, lots of, you know, it's him sort of like Synecdoche, New York, having sort of full control over what he wants to do. Um, there, there, there are, yeah, there's good things in it. It's just, um, it just has some moments that do, it will test some people's patience. There's like car scenes of driving and talking that last for like a long, like long, <laughs> long conversation scenes. And they're kind of uncomfortable in that Charlie Kaufman way. They're kind of funny and uncomfortable and surreal, but, but it's like, it's a very specific kind of twisted, dark, you know, uh, bitter comedy. That's, that's certainly not going to be for a lot of people. Um, but it's, also in its own way we can talk about it after but it, it, it me and my brother talked about whether it's basically one big long tract about about um how certain things about women in relationships how they feel trapped and things and it's, it was interesting we can digest it after oh, yeah. you yeah I, I will watch it i think was his last film was anomalisa was it uh yes that was based on an old screenplay he wrote because that's obviously also very off-putting and weird like a puppet a puppet film with lots of sex scenes Um, yeah yeah which was done really well but again he's got an aesthetic that will just put off a lot yeah unless you really know what you're getting into i don't think you'd flick on one of his films and go oh this is good i'll stick with this yeah yeah Um, i think i think the the earlier ones definitely are more like the Eternal Sunshine or, or um, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind or Being John Malkovich are more like cinem- cinema yeah. films where they're like high concept, but but yeah. anyone can sort of get to them. But the later ones get a lot more. It's yeah. like he gets more control and does what he wants. He's also, am I right that he's also published a novel this year? I was really surprised to see that he'd he'd made this film because I didn't really know where he found the time because his, I think his first novel yeah, yeah. came out, the ant kind. It's like 800 page yeah. kind of Thomas Pynchon-esque absurd. Fest. Yeah, I'm guessing, so, the, I'm guessing the novel must've been in for a long time. And apparently it's got a lot of his vitriol about critics in it. He seems to yes. talk a lot about critics yes. these days. Um, yeah. yeah. He, he's a really strange one because he has like, I think he's, he's won an Oscar he for best screenplay he's he's revered as one of those people like it's rare to know a screenwriter by name but he Mm. you know is known for like being a great screenwriter and yet he if you see a lot of interviews with him like he's kind of this kind of testament to like how difficult it can be in hollywood to like keep keep it burning basically because he talks about how like he really struggles to get anything made um it's all his previous like work hasn't helped him he's like finds it really hard to get the money to do anything and like yeah a lot of he, he's quite a he's quite a sort of <laughs> pessimistic guy anyway but but it's really sort of it, well, you're it just a big sounds- fan of box office figures right does he get does he does he get bombs on seats i'd be surprised if he's stacking theaters well, he kind of had he kind of had problems after um like he Synecdoche, New York was the first one he directed and that didn't perform uh particularly well at the box office and so obviously it's like gets well, hard pronounceable name and an impossible concept. It's not a great, yeah. it's not a great great one. Yeah, and uh, and like people like Roger Ebert really liked it and stuff, but it was divided with critics and like yeah, just. So, so I think it gets harder, but, but yeah, obviously like you'd think like, well, he wrote Eternal Sunshine and like, so he wrote some ones that were, did well, but I guess maybe they don't make huge money and it's just that weird middle ground where some studios just don't see the point maybe in funding them. So this latest one was the Netflix release. Yeah. Yeah. Which may be the right home if, if he wants to go on his full sort of indulgences. Like, this film would not have done well in the cinema, I can tell you that <laughs> for sure. Yeah. People would not have been happy to have gone and seen this film in the, in the cinema. Um, yeah, but, uh, but it's, it's worth checking out. It's just, it's just you've got to kind of strap yourself in and be, be ready for something that's a, a bit bleak. I mean, nice. Well, if, if we're t- sort of talking through the things we've seen recently... 
something we've watched during during our little quarantine period here, which is probably the the furthest you could get away from a Charlie Kaufman thing. I don't know if you've seen it, or it must be on Netflix in the UK as well. Um, Cobra Kai. Are you familiar? Oh with yeah, this? yeah, yeah. Have you watched it? I've I've loved it. Yeah, same. See, particularly, have you seen both seasons? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought I, excellent is the wrong word because it is super cheesy it, and nasty. It's schlock. It's schlock. Complete and... schlock. <laughs> but um, oh, great. so it, if if no people aren't familiar with it, uh, it's it's like a sort of TV series sequel to the, the, the Karate Kid films with the original cast now set now. So you know Daniel and the co the the evil high school boys from Cobra Kai and stuff are all like what, you know, washed up middle-aged men and all this sort of thing. And um, it's just done. I thought particularly the first season was done really well because it, it was, yeah, like a sort of teen high school comedy, but also it did do lots of stuff about like the nature of how you perceive people and different expectations of what people bring and, you know, how we can build, ideas up about people and then it had that extra layer of the cast from the original Karate Kid film probably not done too much since and then they're suddenly playing with their legacy at the same time although I have to say Steve the guy who plays uh Tommy uh Johnny Johnny Johnny. sorry he's um he's been nominated for an Oscar for a short film he directed so um has done bits and pieces but in general you know you kind of think of them as oh they were big in the 80s and then they disappeared so they're they're kind of wrestling with their own legacy as well and then you know it's them suddenly taking on the mentoring role to a new a new generation of karate children um but yeah it's just got that sort of in this last couple of years where sort of 80s uh i don't know like lust for the 80s of and that nostalgia is just seeping out. It was just that dialed up to 11, right? But um, it it got particularly naff in the middle of the second season. I think it lost its way for a bit, but then it, it came punching and kicking its way back to where it should be by the end of it. So, um, yeah, I'd recommend that as a very distracting and fun watch. I'm glad you've you've seen and enjoyed it too. Yeah, I... Um... Yeah, I, I, I think it, uh, you know, on paper, it had lots of things that made me not want to touch it. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it started as like a YouTube show. Yeah. And obviously, you know, my reservations at time about pointless nostalgia um, or pointless reheating of old, uh, yeah. old property. Uh, yeah, it just it just seems set up for everything uh, I wouldn't want to bother with. But um but yeah, I, I heard enough people talk about it, and then it's just very, very inherently lovable from the start, and it doesn't mind. It doesn't mind playing with its sort of like, you know, like Johnny's often being like very non PC, but it's kind of poking fun at the same time as sort of knowing yeah. that he's out of touch and like, you know, it's it's uh, and 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 the different philosophies of the gyms. It's kind of interesting the inversion as well they make with Johnny essentially being the protagonist and Daniel, yeah. you know, is kind of yeah, like like Daniel's kind of a bit more of like a goody two shoes, straight laced yeah. guy now. And uh yeah, it kinda of, it kind of makes you root for both in different ways. And I think it does. they actually pull off pull it off really well. I think Elizabeth said it's probably right they introduced too many characters in the second season, so you everything becomes a bit watered down, but then it it regains its focus after a kind of like stuffy middle. But um, I think if you give it the benefit of the doubt of accepting that everything's done with a bit of an arch nod and an arch wink and a smile, and they know exactly that it is kind of stupid to see it, you know, see it again. If you accept that, then it's really good. If you take it as sort of straight laced and take it as is trying to be as smart and as good as you know the sopranos or whatever then it's obviously a load of old rubbish but seen through the right prism i think it's done really really well yeah i i love it as well how how excited is this whole town about karate it's like, unbelievable their, their whole world revolves around it seemingly and they like you know there's fights breaking out regularly once they all learn karate yeah and, and it's just yeah like these karate tournaments are like a really big deal in the town and like like just just how many they've recruited from the school into the karate yeah school. yeah it's very funny and uh also it's 
because obviously what is it like 35 years since the first film but closer probably to 40 years but it's like the main protagonist it's as if they've been in like uh, i don't know like suspended animation because he's like oh, what's this this is a smartphone i've never seen one yeah. of these. it's just like you've <laughs> you've lived you've been around for the last 45 years it's, it's as if everything's passed him by it's like- it's like part of the sub story they've made is that he's time traveled from the original Karate. Yeah, but he's become <laughs> forty. It's it's very everything, odd. Everything um, technological like mystifies him, and it's really, yeah. really funny how much of like a a luddite man's man he. And is. he's still his interests are still that you know he's like oh like I don't know hot babes and driving around <laughs> listening to rock music. It's like you're like responsibilities now. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's enjoyable. It, like, yeah, we watched it on a whim, and I'm glad. I'm glad we did. Particularly the first season is good fun. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. Um, what else you been doing, mate? I mean, really, not too much, Steve. I don't know if I've mentioned it, but we were locked in an apartment for two weeks. Um, did a bit. Did a bit. Oh, Steve, I should have mentioned it when we were talking about your old mate Einstein. But um, I've. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, um, have you read the novel? It was actually something I was going to buy you for your birthday, Steve. But then I didn't. I got you something else in the end. But um, you know, sort of retrospective spoiler there. Uh, it's a book that you may already have, so I don't know. But it's called Einstein's Dreams by Alan Lightman. Oh no, I don't, I don't know this. No. no, so it's a book you bought me four or five years ago called Sum by David Eagleman. Yes. With the different, you know, almost thought experiments about different realities, I suppose, is sort of brief summation of what that's yeah, about. Sort of what might happen after you die. Yeah, that's that's it, different afterlifes, that's it. So this one it's this is from maybe ninety two or ninety three, so I imagine Eagleman had got his mitts on this and then he just ripped it ripped it off in a certain way. But this is it it's similar very short each one's a short little story based on the author's idea of dreams that einstein would have had when he was writing his main papers in 1905 so his different dreams about different um i don't know versions of time so oh today he dreamt that there was a time that moved backwards and the woman in the shop was going backwards you know it just all these different thought experiments um is good if you have an interest in Einstein you would certainly enjoy it it's very short very accessible um, and the the novelist is a physicist in his own right I think he was at Princeton as well actually um, but one to one to investigate if you're an Einstein fan just lots of different thought experiments about time through yeah through quite accessible analogies oh very good and it's George keeping up with physics 1992 so it's probably a little bit backdated but are there any new gaps in your knowledge that i i realized i was actually i was actually george someone else asked me on their podcast uh a couple of weeks ago um different to this one he has one just talking about books but he was sort of asking me how i uh pick books hang on a minute what you've been no, you don't start. Run around my back. <laughs> don't start now. He come just on. asked me to come on his very small podcast. He said, "Do you want to just? Can I Who just?" Was it? Talk? Was it Oprah? It wasn't the yeah, Oprah her name, thing. Her name is Miss Winfrey. <laughs> and she has a, a little channel called the Love Oprah her. Network. Um, no, who he, was he, it? Who was it? He was a Come nice on. guy. Called, he was a nice guy called Alex who oh. just reached out to me on Twitter I after I did a tweet, and he said, I, "I do a little thing talking about books. Can I ask you about books?" And so and I you said, said, "Yes." Let me check my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, at first he mentioned my brother Matt, and I thought, "Hang on, he wants he wants Matt." Yeah. Um, but no, but but he wanted old Steve, so I. Uh, so I called up and did it, but um, and it, and George, that, How much that did he pay you? Uh, you'll be happy to know there was zero dollars exchanged. Um, <laughs> well, that that that's ground I'm comfortable with. <laughs> Look, I didn't want to do this here now, but you know, uh, <laughs> you can help yourself, take it, you? <laughs> so he said, "How do you pick books, and like, how do you decide when you want to?" 
you know what what non-fiction you want to read next and uh yeah i was thinking well i i sort of follow intuition and instinct and i try and stay excited about the books i'm reading because otherwise i just get fall off the wagon but do you i i noticed as well nowadays i do try and sometimes want to plug one specific gap in my knowledge and i'll just get like three books on that like this is specific to non-fiction yeah, like I'll like yeah. I sometimes it's fiction, but I'll like get three books on China because I just want to like imbibe that sort of topic from a few different angles, or mm-hmm. I want to read stuff about the Second World War and just it's just like some feeling that I'm lacking in knowledge. Like I'll, I'll read about stock market and, or finance, but do you do you sort of have those where you sort of go autodidactically and try and try and sort of learn a field as it were maybe not quite in the same way i think that's really smart though in general i agree with that principle of like while you're quite energized about a topic or yeah even fiction or just the idea oh i'm really enjoying i don't know yeah like sci-fi stuff at the moment it's a good time to capitalize on it because i think we've said if you if you have a to read pile that just builds and builds you kind of become bored of what's there and you need to freshen it up so while you've got that you know case in point for me at the moment i've just started reading bonfire of the vanities by tom wolf which i'm absolutely loving it's been on my shelf for four years and it's not the nicest cover so i've just been a bit like eh, it's not inspiring to me at the moment there obviously was a point when i was super enthused to read it and then having gone into new york the other day it's like oh this is set there maybe this is a good time to read it and it's just it's kind of aligned for me to really enjoy it and i think capitalizing on that's really important so yeah if you've got a burning interest you're probably not going to read four books about China over the next two years, right? But if you blast them in the next month or so, then you're going to gain more knowledge kind of, yeah, by sort of mainlining it now than if you let that peter out in the long term. You'd just be like, oh, no, I've read my stuff on that. Forget it. So I think that's a really good move. Um, I don't read as much nonfiction as you. Um, I probably do it because the book in of itself has been well-reviewed rather than, oh, I really want to learn about, I don't know, yeah, uh, game theory, so I'll find some books. It would be more like, oh, this guy in the news just won the won a Nobel Prize, so this book was supposed to be really good. Then I'll check it out. So right. I, I guess I come at it for the book itself rather than the field, probably. I don't think, oh, I'd love to learn more about dinosaurs. I'll go and get a dinosaur book. It would be this book about dinosaurs by this author was really well reviewed. And then I'll read it that way. You're you're more part of the, you're more part of the literary conversation. I would say than me, George, I'm, I, I need, I, I, I'm weary. I've been burnt by prize books a bit too much. And now I, I need, I need, I I try and lean in fiction a little, a little bit towards either tried and tested or an author. I like, like, I'm I'm talking too about historically as well. I will go through like, you know, the 1975, I'll have a look and see, Oh, what won the Pulitzer prize then? And you read about it and you can see it stood the test of time. But even so I'm reading that because that book was really well regarded rather than uh, another case in point, a book I've just added to the list of things that I'm, after is that um robert caro uh the 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 biography about the guy who built new york robert i'm drawing a blank here (laughs) completely drawing a blank like the city planner guy um sorry not not exciting radio let me just find it you could yeah get deal with this in post yeah the power broker about robert moses about oh, the right. kind of key town planner guy, or town planner like urban developer guy involved with new york i really want to read that because that book is supposed to be one of the great works of like biographical investigation and stuff not because i'm particularly interested in the bureaucracy of town planning it's like the book is what draws me in and then i'll gain an interest in the subject whereas i feel like maybe you have a subject that you're desperate to know about and then find the books if mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah yeah that 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 definitely happens sometimes um yeah there you go we're on books again well, aren't we maybe alex can have me on on the show next week and i can tell him tell him what i do <laughs> i'm sure i'd be delighted actually i'm sure i'd love that <laughs> um it, it, yeah well, he came off the back of of my tweeting, not not say he didn't say, "Oh, I love, I bloody love speaking." Generally, 
Um, he went, oh, you do a podcast? He didn't know. <laughs> said, yeah, whatever. Um, get him on. Um, whereas we, we still have stubbornly refused to ever have a guest on this show. And we never will. Don't say that. That's a couple of people I've said could possibly come <laughs> You're on. You're making promises left, right, and centre. What are you doing behind Our my mutual back? friend John said he'd like to come on. Oh, he's not going to be good on radio. Don't say that. I've done radio. If we're thinking about the same person, I've done a radio show with him. It was horrible. Well, no, not not that John, a different John. Oh, fine then, no problem. And I'd say both would be excellent on radio. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, uh, and I said, what? What do you think you could actually talk about? And he said, I really like dogs. <laughs> that was his uh that was his contribution his he boiled down what he knows to i know i like dogs a lot this is our our nine-year-old friend why okay, nine years little, old oh, right. like a little boy is just really into dogs <laughs> like dennis the menace yeah. um, well that'd be a great mastermind topic as well dogs. what would your what would your mastermind topic be i'm sure we've spoke about this for those who don't know but this podcast is really just loose, isn't it? But um, <laughs> Mastermind is a show where you go on, it's a British show where you go and talk about, answer questions on a specialist subject you have. So you choose what your very specific specialist subject is and they give you questions based on that. And then yeah. you do a general knowledge round, don't you? And that's where you really do yeah. the heavy lifting. But um, mm. mine, mine would probably be on the 80s and 90s British sitcom, Only Fools and Horses. Oh, you have said this, yeah. It's a good. That's a good shout. It's good. You could. You can just really learn one show back to front. Um, yeah. The problem is if they they can start asking questions where it's like, who was the producer of episode three and stuff like that. But if it's just, you know, <laughs> know what happened in the plotting of the episodes and stuff like that, then yeah, I'll clean up. Yeah, I think I said once. I, I thought I was going to try and be an intellectual and say one of mine would be a particular you know, particular work, but it's not, it's not going to be like James Joyce's Ulysses, is it? it? I think probably I said the thing I know a lot about would be the video game, final fantasy seven. That's, um, that's great. That's what you need to do, right? You it's like, you've got a PhD in like political philosophy. If you go my specialist subjects, political philosophy, you're just done. Yeah. You're done for. I said, Oh, I know a lot about David Hume. Yeah. They're, they're going to catch me out with all kinds of trivia. Yeah. Who was his landlady in 18, whatever. Yeah. Whereas, Final Fantasy VII is a long game, but I'm like, I know it. I know it back to front. I played it yeah. a lot. I played it a lot as a teenager, and that was it. Yeah. Um, trained me well for COVID days of lockdown, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. I feel a bit bad for people who don't play video games post-COVID now. You feel bad for me? I just think you guys are missing out a little bit at the moment. I think I think games are as good as they've ever been. There are still a very big growing market more and more big money being thrown at them to make them good uh i just just think you're going to get your mitts on one of these new consoles i probably will but not this side of christmas george um because uh they're all bloody sold out everywhere so i I haven't done much reading about them but is it right that there's, so there's a new Xbox, a new PlayStation coming out. The new Xbox like barely has any launch games, or the new PlayStation barely has any launch games. Um, both both are always quite bad with doing enough good launch games. Launch games on consoles are never a lot to shout about, and le- like maybe Nintendo ones occasionally, but but yeah, they they don't always. I don't know what it is. I think it takes time for the developers to make the best best one basically i think they they need to like get to grips with the console a bit more but but it's the game game. like we were talking before right about is it topic or um is it like the game that makes you want to do it or just i'm interested in checking out the new console like there's no point in getting it unless the game's good right yeah and that well yeah some people are just first adopters in tech so they just get anything as long as it's new and that's part of the appeal for them but uh it's like the the people who queue outside Apple stores, which I've never understood, but you know, people who, but you queue- know, but th- those things are a bit different, right? Cause they serve functional purposes and stuff, but it's like, if you're just plonking yourself down to play a game, however snazzy it looks or yeah, but some people want to be like, Oh, I've got one and no one else has, but, but yeah, yeah but, I, uh, but those people are awful. 
<laughs> I didn't say they weren't awful. Um, <laughs> they, uh, yeah, but but yeah, you kind of want like you want something that really excites you. You can get excited just about it's like a new toy, a new machine, isn't it? Like, oh, I want to see how good it is on this. But no, but what I'm saying is, if, if you don't have game. a good yeah, if you don't have a good game, it's not really a fair barometer of what it can do. Oh, the graphics are no. as bad as they used to be. Well. And what's the point? Like, you need yeah. you need it to be singing at its best potential to be able to give it fair judgment, right? You need what they call the killer app. That's yeah, or, what they call it, um, yeah. or FIFA twenty twenty two. FIFA twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, so you know, you got you guys. Look, as I've I've said before, George, I think we are entering. I think the West, here's a big theory. I think the West is entering a period of Asianification. You think and it's we will entering talk, that period now? We will talk about this more on a future episode, George, where I will unpack this theory. You're going to have to go away and come up with it now. No, but what uh, video games is just a part of this, but my belief is that the West is now, has been in the part of a process of adopting more Asian lifestyle um, in terms of like, and you can call it East Asian, but just um, in our, what's happening post COVID George sanitary standards. We're wearing masks. Uh, people play a lot more video games. Now our fertility rates are worryingly declining. Um, lots of, <laughs> lots of these things, lots of these things are adding up and, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not saying everyone's, good or bad. Everyone's doing karate in California. Everyone's now. watching karate. I'm not saying good or bad in this, but it's just certain little things where I'm like, oh, there's there's like a slight adoption there of some kind of if if you call it like East Asian lifestyle things. Uh, there's ma- many, I know it's like crude, but there's many more East Asian food places. There's suddenly like Korean places all opening up in London, like all these like Taiwanese people are much more into like Korean pop and culture and learning a like imbibing culture from these other places. And I think there's a, I just think there's something, something to that. It might just be because the, the East Asia is rising like economically and in terms of its demographically, you know, a lot of the winds are shifting that way so maybe we're just more exposed to their cultural output but i do just feel like there's more like anime fans than ever there's more people who know things and music from those those parts of the world and i and and obviously it makes sense with the broader geopolitical story of like china's still growing massively and you know korea south korea is very successful uh, things like that. Interestingly, though, almost everything you've cited there is not Chinese. Uh, that's yeah, yes, but there's still like that's interesting. But I think there's still like uses of, you know, I know more people who use like Alibaba now, and know of some of the Chinese companies like Tencent and JD and Alibaba and uh, WeChat, and like maybe maybe they don't have full access because of certain restrictions politically. But but I'd say. Uh, yeah, the Chinese uh, Chinese culture, the Chinese like art and stuff hasn't exported so much. But like novelists, like that three body problem guy is a Chinese novelist, isn't he? Um, that, the guy who wrote that very popular book. There's certain like Chinese authors that have been recognised and winning prizes and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, maybe that takes time because of their specific political peculiarities. But um, but I guess uh, you know, China like do really well in the Olympics and stuff like that, don't they? They they have a lot of clout in certain ways. But but yeah, but yeah, that is interesting in that it's I I, th- I see it more as a regional thing than a uh, than a specifically Chinese thing. But kind of like that book, the future is Asian. I think that book is hyperbolic, but I think there's something to the 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 right and also right in COVID. Lots of nations have all the successful nations in dealing with this have all repeatedly been cited as being like East Asian cultures. And there's lots of people like talking about what they, how they dealt with it better or what better systems they might have or advantages uh, technologically. And I just find that interesting as a moment we're in, in history. 
you know? Very nice. Well, we probably don't have to do another episode about it now. <laughs> God damn it. I, I unpacked it all here. Um, I, uh, no, maybe, maybe we'll do one where I can, I, I'd like to get a couple of the books and, and, and cite some figures, but, uh, but what do you make of that, George? Just just off the back of what I'm saying, I think there's weight. To- um, sure, yeah. Um, uh, Europe's, no, Europe's, I've, I've... Europe's an old sagging uh, uncle aunt, sort of trying. You know, it's 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 had glorious days, but it's sort of maybe stagnating a bit. America's still up there, still powering on, but you know. Yeah, I'm, I don't know if how sold I am. Uh, on that as a theory because I don't know if that is cherry picking some very specific niche interests and showing them as maybe having more clout than than they do to to for other demographics of people who aren't interested in I don't know pop pop music or whatever but that's obviously a good barometer to judge cultural encroachment by um broadly the world's just becoming smaller right so people have access to lots of different cultures but um well can i at yeah least I, my, I, would, I would have to think about it further i'm going to put my stamp on the intellectual concept of asianification of the west that's that's a, i mean you're citing books that other people have written so i don't know if you can put your stamp on it but no but no one's quite no one's got a, a, a patchy <laughs> term like that you know no right it's all about it's all about coming up with the book title and yeah, yeah you've already you've already had to you've had to qualify the term a couple of times we go well east asian you've already had to you know <laughs> no because whittle it down I, a couple of times because no, india's rising as well there the, the, the whole region i i could just call it asianification um hmm. but you know we'll uh <laughs> I, we'll see what our audience thinks maybe they'll tell me if they agree or not we've got a very international audience so I don't think many people will have listened all the way through this episode to get this far, to be honest. You've saved the good stuff till the end, but we bored them 20 minutes in with my flight itinerary. It's always the, it's always the tricky part, the ordering, isn't it? <laughs> Slow like, yeah, saving the best take it to last. <laughs> we, we, we put the best part of the news article at the end. It's not how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to discuss, George? Mm. Um, I'm working, Steve, from a standing desk for the first time ever, but I am sat down at it. But um, it's quite an exciting feature of the apartment we've moved into. It's got a very, very snazzy standing desk with a kind of hydraulic lift on the side, <laughs> which, bizarrely, and for all you, all you Simpsons fans out there, sent me down a rabbit hole on YouTube because I was messing about with the the hydraulics and sending it up and down and i was going desk goes up desk goes down desk goes up like when homer's in bed next to flanders with his sort of up and down bed goes up bed goes down and it took me into this youtube rabbit hole of this guy this guy on youtube just makes these incredible simpsons like i think he's called dank mouse and he makes these really like heavy music beats based on obscure bits of dialogue from the simpsons <laughs> like from classic simpsons episodes some of them are absolutely incredible and i've frittered that's how i got through the first two weeks of lockdown of my quarantine really I was just watching these it's fantastic if you're a if you're a simpsons aficionado check out i'm gonna get the name right youtube channel recommendation yeah dankmus d-a-n-k-m-u-s it's absolutely magnificent okay okay lovely i'm gonna check that out um I was going to say, George, I didn't think the standing desk was a very you-inspired innovation. I feel like you're a man who likes a sit-down. I, I didn't imagine that was... I didn't imagine you were the kind of sort of a life hacker who was going to go out and decide it was time for a standing desk. No, that that is probably true, but I am certainly aware that I spend most of my time hunched over with a terrible posture, uh, and I could do with standing up. And I think if if there was a benefit of being locked in the apartment for two weeks, it was trying to optimize, you know, at least standing up during the day is more than wallowing on the sofa all day. Um, but it's actually quite, it's actually quite nice. Uh, my back doesn't hurt as much if I use it and it makes you feel a bit more productive. It's not great for doing loads of writing. I don't think, although Philip Roth wrote at a standing desk, but, um, it's not great for writing on a laptop without 
messing around with a new keyboard and stuff but um, in general it's, it's not a bad way to mix things up let's put it that way and have you been doing some writing desk goes up desk goes down desk goes up <laughs> desk goes down uh, have I been doing any writing no not really um, no is the is the short answer to that you I've been doing some, yeah, yeah. Been doing my blogs. Uh, we did our big virtual retreat, so I uh, had six hundred, six hundred attendees. I was, I was sort of being the the compare figure. Sort of, I, I sort of thought, <laughs> I thought of myself as a sort of Stephen Fry of the Baftas. Stephen Fry, I was thinking more like a, I don't know, like a Bruce Forsyth or a <laughs> Des O'Connor. <laughs> I was setting up the next speakers and sort of giving people a bit of chat in between things and oh here's you know that makes you stephen fry does it yeah he's always hosting things isn't he and you come and do your little jokes and get a little laugh and toddle off again Hmm. it's a lovely role it's a plum role the host if you can get it it is plum oh yeah plum gig for sure (laughs) i don't i don't feel like you've got enough standing you know that it's a real sort of it's like the role of honour. You give it to like some old sort of. He's earned it, like David right. Niven doing the Oscars or something. You, I don't. You're you not like, like a national a, treasure. <laughs> you need like a body of great work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a role for a generalist, a, a polymath, if you will. And, and you Harry just... Hussey was busy, was he? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Well, should, do you want to call it there for today? I think I think we probably should, yeah. All right, we'll call it there for today. Uh, I know this one's been a, a bit, a bit inside baseball of our lives. Just I think we've said that about the last five or six episodes. <laughs> uh, no, we did the balanced life one last one. Remember? Um, so we'll be back. We'll probably do a hot topic one for you next week, where we'll, uh, you know, stick on one thing. But uh, I like, you know, I, I've heard feedback, George. People do like the chat ones. People do like. Uh, us having a bit of a natter so i we i believe in sprinkling all flavors on this and i'm big i'm a big believer in that just stick it all in and hope it's okay keep them guessing people don't know what they want george you gotta you gotta keep throwing different things at them yeah um that's how you keep going in this business um all right well thanks so much as ever everyone george uh take Take that wife of yours and get her out the house for a little bit. (laughs) She's got a bloody PhD now. Give her a bit of fresh air. Um, And, uh, yeah, I'll hopefully see you guys, chat to you guys soon. Thanks, Steve. Speak later. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.